we're in this series called Feed Yourself. And I just want to start with this. Um, I probably shouldn't. It might be a little bit of pastoral attitude, but, but, you know, the Lord will forgive me, I guess. I'm going right now. Here we go. When people say, um, I don't get fed there, it always sends up a red flag to me. Or you don't feed me. You know, every now and then I've heard that. You know, I don't get fed. And most people don't stab you in the front. They stab you in the back. So I don't hear it too much. But when they say that, almost always it makes me think they're not feeding themselves. Because if you're not full, you know, we lay out a pretty good meal for you every week here to eat. But if you eat once a week, you're going to be malnourished. And people who are saying, I'm, I, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed, are not getting enough food themselves during the week. And this, this word, this Bible that I'm going to be talking about today, is God's love letter created to nourish your soul. And you'll have a feeling of emptiness, and, and, a, and you'll be unfulfilled to some degree if you're not in it on a regular basis. You might say, well, I want God to talk to me. Most of what he has to say is right here. I appreciate being spirit-led, but if it's not centered in the word, then, I won't, then it's not really spirit-led. And you've heard that saying, the word without the spirit, and we dry up the spirit without the word, and we blow up the spirit and the word, and we grow up. We need the word of God, and it's how God speaks to us. And we have to be in the word on a regular basis. Talk about eating it, and it sounds funny. And I've t- entitled this sermon, The Best Food, because there's no better food for your soul than the Bible. Jeremiah 15, 6 kind of sums up what we're trying to bring to you today. When your words came, I ate them. See the food for your soul there. They were my joy and my heart's delight. You see the fulfillment that the Lord wants to bring to each of us. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. And my hope with this sermon, I really have one purpose, and it's pretty simple in this sermon. I hope that I can convince you today to get in this book on a regular basis. If you're willing, the Bible will give you wisdom beyond your wildest dreams. And we all need wisdom. I like what one fellow preacher, Wayne Cordero, wrote this in his book, Divine Mentor. He said over a period of about 1,500 years, God chose more than 40 different men to write down his divine words in a book. All these have gone before us, Scripture says, and now they're in the grandstands cheering us on. Isaiah, Sarah, Ezekiel, Mary, Matthew, Ruth, Daniel, Esther, all of them, and many more stand ready and eager to mentor us. And Isaiah 40 verse 8 says this, talking about this awesome word of God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let me pray before I share further. Father, Come now, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit and illuminate to us the truth that you had a purpose, a divine purpose of leaving us words that would nourish our soul. We call it the Holy Bible because it's the Holy Word of God. And Lord, history shows that those who read it and apply it find blessings. And Lord, that's what you want. You want to bless your children. So would you help us today? And lead us and guide us so that we're in this book on a regular basis, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So three things that I want to share that come from Isaiah 55. If you have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you, but turn to Isaiah 55. I'll read a number of scriptures to you in the next few minutes, but uh, most of them are going to come from this chapter, so you might want to make references and and bounce back and forth as I uh, do that. That little ribbon in your Bible is to mark that spot. 
And so why don't you mark Isaiah 55 and maybe you can reflect on it a little later as well. And here's the first thing that I believe the Lord would say to you today. And he says it to me. This is what God would say to you. Listen to me. Now we've all had moms and dads who say, listen to me. But you know, there can be a sweeter tone to that that comes from the word too where, the, where God with his heart of love says to each of us, listen to me. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. So here we are, eating the best food again. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy talking about the satisfaction of the word of God now. Now listen, listen to me. Here it is. Here's where it comes from the Lord. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. It's talking about the word of God spoken and when we listen to it, it brings blessing. Cordero in that same book talks about wisdom and consequences. He says there are two great effective teachers, wisdom and consequences. They're teachers for each of us. Wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. I'm gonna say that again slower. Wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. Consequences demand that you make the mistake first. Wisdom puts a fence at the top of the cliff. Consequences visit you at the hospital. There is wisdom here that protects you from great disaster, damage, trouble in life. And God would rather prevent something than cure it in your life. You know why? Because he loves you. He'll want to cure your life. I mean, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the word of God is about preventing disaster so that you might be blessed. In the same way you would want to cover your toddler. Make sure they're not running out in the freeway. Right? They don't quite... Get it, and you have to mentor them along and lead them and guide them and protect them and keep them safe. And that's the heart of God with this word. Proverbs 27 says this, the wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. The boundaries of the word of God, it's undeniable. There are some stay away froms and some boundaries in here to protect us. But it's not bad for the toddler to help them with boundaries, is it? And listen, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you can know 5% of all there is to know in the world, which is way too much credit for you, by the way, and me. And with our limited knowledge and our understanding about the universe and the way things work and God's creation, with our limited knowledge, doesn't it make sense that we would want to go beyond our own abilities or the ability of mankind who knows so little to a divine mentor God the Father, who's written down his word in the Holy Bible. He wants to bless us, protect us, and keep us from trouble. He wants to give us wisdom to prevent instead of consequences where cure has to come after the pain has already spread in our lives. Some of you have heard this before, but it it just works here today, so I'm going to share it. When I was about eight years old, I lived in Ottawa, Iowa. We lived at the top of this big hill in a big old rental house, I think it was a three-story house. It was kind of spooky, actually. I didn't like that house. But I was going to a little league practice one day. 
Now, I had a bike in those days that was just the coolest bike you could ever have. It had Schwinn Harley handlebars. You know those old Schwinn bikes? Big old handlebars. And it had the big banana seat. I could give five of my friends a ride on that bike. Way cooler. than. And it had the brakes. You know, you press down instead of the handbrakes and all, all that. You know, you press back on the pedal. And I was headed down the road one day. And my mom said to me, hey, I don't want you to ride down the hill anymore. And I said, mom, I always ride down the hill. She said, yeah, but the chain could come off. And I think I even said to her, Mom, what are, come on, I've gone down this hill a hundred times and the chain's never come off. She said, you walk your bike down the hill and you can ride it from there. Because if the chain comes off, you could get hurt. So I obeyed her for a while. Then one day I was late for little league practice and I looked back and she wasn't watching, so I hopped on that bike and zoomed down the hill. And I just turned the pedals forward and I was feeling good and the wind was in my hair and I went backwards to put that brake on and it went whew, whew. I looked down and unbelievably the chain had come off. It had never come off before and the first time I disobeyed, the chain came off and I was on for a ride. I was going about 20 miles an hour, whew, headed down this hill, thinking how am I going to get off this thing, picking up speed and in those days and in Atamwa they have they have rain that just comes down fast hard and furious and and it's big it's not like little drops here I mean they'll hurt your eye you know the when it comes down there and it'll come quick and it'll be like floods in the streets but it'll be gone because the curbs are about this big there just to handle those those flash floods that come from rain and so at the bottom of the hill I'm riding down there's a curb this high and I'm thinking, how am I going to navigate this? I am in trouble. And I made a decision, and it was kind of smart. I thought, I'll pop a wheelie. I'll fly off one, and I'll pop a wheelie to get over the curb on the other side. I must have been doing 25. That's just a guess. Went over that first curb, saw the second one, popped a wheelie. And I don't, you know, that's a short distance if you're going fast. Unbelievably, I got the front wheel up and missed that curb, but I forgot about the back wheel. <laughs> and when the back wheel hit, I went flying. I don't know if I flipped, but I felt like it. And I went chin first, bam, right into the concrete. And I got eight stitches right there. You see that? Bunch of old fellows in rocking chairs in front of a store holding up signs that said, 10. <laughs> All the story was true except for that part right there that I just told. My mother was wishing that I would have listened to her. As a matter of fact, I had over 150 stitches in my head before I was 12. And there are numerous injuries, and I've gone through this before with some of them. But my mom was continually thinking, why won't you listen to me? I care about you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to stop you. And I believe the Lord would say to you and to I at times in our lives, why won't you listen to me? Listen to me. I love you. I'm for you, God would say. I'm not against you. I'm trying to protect you. I want to bless you. I didn't come to bring you pain. I came to take away your pain. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And there's some people who say, well, I believe people should just do what they feel is best. That denies that there's a creator and a the God, because if there is a God, wouldn't he be in charge of all and know all and wouldn't be God otherwise? We can't create God in our image <laughs> because it's, we, we just diminish him way too much when we do that. We can't limit him to our abilities and our thoughts. 
people say, well, I think others should do what they think is best. Well, did you know that the majority in Germany favored Hitler before World War II? Did you know the majority of the Confederate states in America were once in favor of slavery? Now, we know historically those were hideous things, don't we? And yet the majority of people thought that that was best. Isn't that just a sad commentary on the human state, on humankind? I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to this world, the majority is seldom right. And, and if you look to even American values and what the majority think, then you'll miss what God has to say because the majority, what's popular isn't necessarily what's right and what's right isn't necessarily what's popular. But this is what I know from this word of God and following it in my own life because I've gone astray in my life. I've crossed the boundaries and every time I do, eventually I get hurt. As a matter of fact, when I was a teenager, some of you know the story that I was a prodigal. I was so glad that my parents showed me the boundaries because I knew, I knew exactly when I was crossing those boundaries that the word of God speaks of. And guess what? I crossed them and not long Oh, I had fun for a little bit, but pretty soon the hammer came down. I hurt myself. I hurt others. I was miserable, but I knew where to go. I knew where those boundaries were, and I got back on the other side of that fence and said, Jesus, I want to follow you from my heart, and I believe you care about me. I know you know all. When we make God in our own image and conclude that he thinks and acts like we do, we're wrong. Here's what it says in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking to us. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. He's just a lot smarter. That's essentially what that's saying. Than I am, than you are. Hey, I'm not trying to dish you because God's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And when we can lean into that and trust him and know that he left us this word, that he wants us in on a regular basis so he can lead us and guide us, it helps us. And there are those who say, well, that, you know, the biblical way, the Christian way, it's just so narrow. Let's talk about narrow for a moment. When I played basketball for Judson Baptist College, it was a, it was a junior college that was once in Portland where Bible Temple was, which is called City Bible now. There used to be Judson Baptist College. And I went to school there and played basketball, and we took a trip to Alaska. And I remember flying into the island of Sitka in Alaska. They have a college there, and we were going to play them. And that plane started going down, and I looked down, there's nothing but water below. And it looks like we're just a few hundred feet above it, and I was thinking, hey, hey, hey. And I was looking around, and I told my buddy, Boy, we're kind of close to the water. We started going down, and it looked just like we are going to touch down in the water. I said, holy cow, and I tensed up and grabbed the chair, and I felt the wheels hit. And I looked up. I couldn't even see it. We had hit the runway. It was so narrow, I couldn't even see it. And I got up like this in the curved window, and finally I could see some rocks that were out there that had, were built as the foundation of that narrow one, runway at Sitka. Now, that was a very narrow runway. But I'm glad that the pilot decided to take a narrow approach to a narrow runway. Because if he goes wide and he likes another path and he hits the water or any other land, it's not going to be near as smooth. It's going to be crash and burn. Just like the runway in an airport or for an airplane is narrow 
and necessary, the narrow path of God is necessary as well because there is safety and there is blessing and there is a covering for our lives. And the Lord would say to you and to I, listen to me. Now most of you, you know, have been serving the Lord for a long time, at least many of you. And you can kind of come to a place where you think you know or you think you've arrived and uh, it's a bad place. Because if you think you've arrived, you, you have. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna be vulnerable with you. Between services, I was down here, my wife said something to me, I was trying to get the drummer to go softer and she said something to me and I turned and snapped at her right after the sermon. And in between services, I'm feeling guilty and I said this, hey, I'm in charge here. Yeah, well, I'm not, Okay. The, the, the Lord is in charge. And, and here I am, I'm up here preaching the word of God and making a dumb mistake like that. And I had to say to the Lord, first of all, Karen didn't do anything but try to keep me from being an idiot, which wives try to do to husbands, right? <laughs> Public display, hey, stop that on the drums, you know, that sort of thing. It wasn't quite that bad. But the point is, I haven't arrived. And continually I have to look at what the word says. And the word says, that I should apologize, which I did, that I should pray, that I should get it right, and I should move forward. Because when you think you've got it, you'll just find yourself not getting it so much in some spot. And so we have to be in the word of God, and we have to understand that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And since I know that, and I heard it, and I did that, I think, you know, and I have to get it right, get that thing out of there, and move on, and try to do it right for the Lord's blessing to flow you're probably not like me you don't make that many mistakes but God help us to be in this word and listen and learn and get back on that narrow path if we deviate anywhere because he cares about us and he loves us second thought now eat what is good I'm telling you this is good food When I was a teenager and into my early 20s, I could eat like crazy and not gain any weight. I used to get the biggest burgers at the fast food joints. I mean, this is right after Karen and I were married, but not one of them, two of those babies. And I would just devour them. Then I stopped eating them when I got to be 40, you know, as much anyway, because they were, you know, once on the lips, forever on the hips, you know, that kind of deal. And but I noticed that when I didn't eat them very much, I was so used to bad food that when I would throw one of those gut bombs down, and I love a greasy burger, man. I just, it's, it's sinful, but I love it. Uh, th- never mind. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting carried away with the thought of it, what I can't have anymore. But <laughs> I notice if I eat one of those things that I feel rotten after a little bit now, right? It's not really good fuel for the body. It's just like, you know, that, oh man, I, don't, I didn't even remember that because I was so used to it before. And there's a lot of fuel in life. There are things that we're eating that, that aren't good for us. And it says, listen to me, verse two now, eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. This is good food for the soul. Now we're talking about food for the soul. First Peter makes a correlation to food with the word. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. 
now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. See, here's where we get most of our diet. If we're not getting it here, if we're not getting our value system here, and I'll tell you, if you're not in this word on a regular basis, you're getting your value system from somewhere else. And here's where we get it from in our culture. We get it from TV, movies, music, friends, books, video game, maybe even professors and teachers in this world. And here's the problem with that. Most professors, teachers, movies, and books in this world do not glorify God, honor him, or think he has any wisdom at all. As a matter of fact, a lot of those people that do those things are completely against God as the creator and Lord of mankind. Now, let me be the first to say that TVs, movies, music, friends, books can glorify God in an incredible way, and professors as well. But most of them don't. Now, if you're not in this word and you're getting a steady diet of something from those people, who are you going to believe? Whatever you're getting bombarded with, you'll eventually surrender to. And if you don't have something to counteract that, I mean, if you're in this book on a regular basis, you can be listening to the news, and they'll go somewhere with a wayward philosophy, and you can say, ooh, that's not what the Word says. But if you don't know the Word, you wouldn't even know that. Ooh, that's against God's truth there. I'm not going to receive that one. And here's what, you know, the philosophies of the world. Let me just throw a few at you. I could throw a thousand, but let me throw a few. They'll say divorce if, you just, if you're just not feeling good about your marriage. Just divorce. They won't tell you. The statistics show that 70% of people who divorce wish they'd stuck it out with their first spouse. That's a little known statistic. They'll tell you sex outside of marriage won't hurt you. As a matter of fact, it'll broaden your horizons and it'll help you. Really? What about the broken lies and addiction, the loss of key family relationships? They never tell you about that. There'll be movies that show bank robberies and heist and cheating and make it all creative and fun and make you laugh and enjoy it as you go, not even, not even thinking much about it. And the pervading, prevailing philosophy that might come through is, hey, go ahead and cheat because your employer... They really don't care about you and they're not giving you enough anyway. But they won't tell you about the loss of employment and the loss of integrity and jail and the loss of reputation. They don't talk about those things. But this book does. As a matter of fact, if you're not reading, now we hope you get into the journals. We have a tool out there for you I'll talk about later. It has some Bible reading plan for you, but it's, it's, it's not legalistic. It, it shows you a reading. There's three different readings you can do. One of them's about 10 minutes. One's about 20. One's about 30. You can do some journaling. And if you miss a day, then we, we just, we're not trying to impose guilt. Just miss a day and grab it the next day. But if you're in this book on a regular basis, it will bless you. And as you get in it, it'll, it'll do away with the philosophies of the world when you're seeing what God is saying on a regular basis. Because here's what the word will say, you reap what you sow. Well, here, you know, the, the, the world will tell you, and even I just find it really interesting that the people don't know God are always talking about what Jesus said. They don't care about him, they don't love him, but they'll say, you know, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, that's, that's the one you hear prevailing from people who, who don't know God. And basically, we're all sinners, and, but where they go is, so let's just sin more, you know. But the Bible says you reap what you sow. The Bible says with the measure you meet, it'll be measured unto you. 
The Bible lets us know that we cause a lot of our pain and we could stop it if we'll stop sinning. You say, are you saying we can be sinless? I'm saying you can sin less and less all the time. That's what I'm saying. Not sinless, but less and less. It's called personal responsibility for your life, for your decisions. And God's forgiving and he's loving, but he's so loving that he's into prevention more than cure. And that's what the word of God is about. Isaiah 48, 18. Look at his heart of love if we'll follow his word. If you had obeyed me, he says, you would have had peace like a full flowing river. Wow. If we obey him and his word, he gives peace. Good things would have flowed to you like the waves of the sea. That's what God has for us if we have a heart of obedience to follow him. Robert Morgan wrote a book and I, um, I like this story from his book. He says, I recently heard of a high school student whose band performed on a Caribbean cruise. He said, one night, um, this high school student's buddies tried to entice him to the bar in the ship. But Chad was his name, uh, had a mom who was an alcoholic, and he'd memorized a few verses from Proverbs about alcoholic abuse. And he explained to his friends that addiction ran in the family. He really didn't want to do it. And they weren't listening, so... He had the courage to quote this scripture to him because he knew it. You can't quote it if you don't know it, right? And you're not in it to read it. But he said this, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Somebody here might say, I didn't know that was in the Bible. That's, that's why you gotta read it. You know, there's just, there's just stuff that's, that helps us. They replied to him, Chad, come on, man. One beer won't hurt. He shared another scripture. In the end, it bites like a snake. Still talking about alcohol here. And poisons like a viper. And then they said, man, if you were, you know, one of us and a friend and a buddy, you, come on, we're all gonna do this. They were rejecting, he said, you're rejecting our company. And to which he said, well, the Bible says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. And one of them said, leave him alone. He's so full of the scripture, we can't do anything with him. Well, he saw what happened to his mom. He saw the pain that it brought to his family and the destruction. And he said this, not me, not gonna get me. But the word of God will protect and bless us and that's what it's about. The Bible leads us to God's truth and it's this, God wants to help you and me. But then it goes even further than that. Why do we need to be in the Word? He wants us to help others. You know, it doesn't take long to realize, you know, people who have one child don't know this, but it doesn't take realize, long to realize the sin nature when you have two children, right? That it's there pretty quickly in those kids. When there's a toy that they both want, it gets pretty personal, and they're not really concerned about blessing their brother or sister, you know? And a fight will ensue. Well, we're, we're not, that's human nature. And we're kind of all like that about self. But when the love of God comes in and touches us. And we get in his word and we begin to realize that his heart beats for people everywhere. That hurt. And we realize he's given us so much. And then we read and he says, hey, I want to use you to show my love. I want you to be my hands and feet. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. 
So it helps us, it blesses us, it protects us, but when we get in the word, it causes our hearts to open up and to be givers instead of takers. Those who would share love rather than look for it all the time. And therein comes a lot of fulfillment in life. You were created for God's love to flow through you. Not only to worship him, but to work with him, to show people how great he is. And when we get in the word, we'll, we'll, we'll see it. God will say to our hearts, love others. I like this story. Pastor Bob Russell, no relation, a pastor in Kentucky, wrote a book called The Growing Church. And he shared a story about a man named Ben Merald. Ben had just become a preacher, he says, at Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton, California. Shortly after, Ben learned that his son had been arrested for peddling drugs and was sent to prison. That'd be devastating if you were a pastor. That'd be devastating no matter who you were. And Ben, Pastor Ben, thought of dropping out of the ministry and some people in his church strongly hinted that he should. There's another pastor locally named Tommy Overton. He preached at Huntington Beach, California. And he heard of Ben's struggle and he called Ben and said, can I take you to lunch? Pastor Tommy picked up Pastor Ben and they didn't know each other. They started driving, making small talk for a while. And then Tommy stopped outside a women's prison in Southern California. He parked there and he said, Ben, I have a daughter in there. I sometimes drive out here and sit and pray for her. It breaks my heart to know she's in there and I can't help her. Ben, would you like to tell me about your son? Ben, who was broken and wounded and ashamed, poured out his heart to Tommy and the two wept together. In an instant, a bond was formed. And that day, Tommy helped save Ben's ministry. A ministry that since then, over the last few decades, has seen thousands of people come to Jesus Christ because Ben hung in there. When God fills us with this word to love, you see, we'll we'll just decide we're too busy because after all, self has a lot of stuff to accomplish in life, right? But my self stuff isn't always God's stuff. The most fulfilling place in life is to be used of the Lord and you won't even have a heart to be used by the Lord if you're not in the word on a regular basis. So when we get in this word, it blesses and protects us, but it blesses others as God's love. We're encouraged to let his love flow through us. Isaiah 55, verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It's talking about his word. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I love the word. Let me me just... um, tell you that not only will it bless you every day, I'm not saying that if you're in this on a regular basis, it won't be difficult at times. You battle, right? And that's why you can't take time, you have to make time. I am telling you that you need it every day, that I need it every day. 
But I'm saying even those passages that don't hit you daily, many of them will, but there'll come a point in your life, if you're in this book on a regular basis, where through the years, the fabric of the truth of this book has gotten into you, and you'll come into a hard place where you never needed that scripture before, but it's in the deep recesses of your heart because you've been in this book. And the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance a verse that will just bless your life incredibly. And even the stuff you think's not helping you or getting to you, you'll find someday, wow, I never saw it that way before. We need this book. Billy Graham said, they asked him once, why was your ministry so successful? And this was his answer. Because every time I spoke of the Bible, I said, God's word says. Now that, when you hear Bible and God's word, most of you Christians don't even think of it uh, you, you, you know, because you know they're the same. But if, but if you're not really committed to God and you refer to a book as God's word, well, now you're saying something that's heavy to some people. And I would say it'll be the, the thing that will bless your life too is if you look at this as God's word for you and, and it's God's word for me. And the third point today from Isaiah 55, your soul will be delighted. Listen, listen to me. That was the first point. Eat what is good, the second thought. And now, your soul will delight in the richest affair. I wrote a poem this week, which I haven't done in 20 years. And it is profound, so I want to read it to you. (laughs) One man followed his own heart, another followed God's way. The first found pain and trouble, the second found joy that would stay. The Bible says, you say, follow your own heart because that's what the world says. The Bible says this. And the scripture is Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately wicked. What? That means my heart and your heart, if it's not protected and covered by the word of God and submitted to what he says, will do something else that we say would be, would be better. When Josh McDowell's daughter was going out to date, he was putting some pretty heavy restrictions on her. He was a minister And she said, Dad, you don't trust me. And he said, hey, why should I trust you when I don't trust myself? If you're smart, if I'm smart, if we understand it, we know we could fall. So we're more careful to follow the word of God, to put ourselves in situations where we can have success, not to put our feet in a place or our eyes in a spot that would be easy to fail. And so we don't follow our heart, we follow God's way. Isaiah 55, 12, here's what happens when you follow his way and his truth. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Now, have, you remember the old song that was about this verse? The mountains and the hills will break. It's a Jewish deal. It's talking about God's word in this passage, but we never saw it that way when we sang that song. You'll have joy and peace that will stay when you follow God's truth and his word. I'm not saying you won't have trouble. You will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Now, here's the difference. Now, I I don't know why, but, uh, you know, um, I think it was, we we had a party over at our house, which I didn't get to be part of because I'm too old. Uh, But the kids were all, I I did have to work, but I didn't get to have uh, as much fun. But I was watching Deadliest Catch. Anybody watch that? Phil Harris died uh, the fisherman on one of those boats, and it was kind of sad, and I was kind of watching it. 
But the human drama of the story drew me in. To watch his two boys arguing when their dad died and was in the hospital and fighting with each other. And I was praying for them. This happened just in late January where that happened. I was praying for Josh, this kid who's addicted to alcohol. And I turned to Karen and I said, it's, it's just so sad. They have nowhere to go. They don't know who to turn to. They need Jesus so bad. And I prayed that Jesus would send someone into their lives. Because he cares about Josh Harris. He cares about you. And, he, and, and when you have trouble in your life, what you may not realize is you're doing so well under the circumstances because if you didn't have Jesus, it would be unbearable. People take their lives. Yes, you'll face trouble in this life, but when you're in the word and when you're following Jesus, you'll find strength and peace that goes beyond your own ability. You'll find purpose on the other end of it. You'll find that God is bringing something beautiful out of something terrible, that something good can still rise. Romans 8.28 says that. Well, my hope is that you could find joy and peace. Here's what it says. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. It's talking about a life of fulfillment. The Horizon Journals are out there and you can pick them up. Next week, Pastor Doug's going to speak. And it's going to be good. I wouldn't miss it. Pastor Doug, when it comes to journaling, has probably led several hundred people. Is that an exaggeration? At least a couple hundred, three hundred people into journaling personally. Just one-on-one meetings. I remember one day he said that. I said, whoa, 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 wait. I said, how many times a week do you think you're doing that? Teaching people how to journal and, and, and you know, how to get into the word with one of these journals. Because they did it at Living Hope where he was too, like we do it here. He said a couple times a week. I said, well, how, how long? And he talked about years and I said, do you know what that, I'm telling you, he's bringing something that is rich next week that he's been teaching for a while. And, and if you want to be blessed, come next week and hear what Doug has to say because there'll be some really practical things about how, how to get in the word and and. Write down what the Lord is speaking because he's speaking on a regular basis to you when you're in the Word. So come next week, these next few weeks. I I think this discipline, and yes, it's a discipline. The Bible says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. There's a discipline here, but there's a payoff. The payoff is winning in life instead of losing. The payoff is developing heart and skill to avoid pitfalls and move towards that which is good. Listen to what it says in Psalm 138 about God's word. Praise your name for your love and faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name. And we we would be good enough to stop there, right? But then what else does it say? You've exalted above all your name and your word. Wow. That's put on a pretty high level there by God, isn't it? Because his word is him. The very being of God is personified. This story is about Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation, the redemption of man. It's prophetic in the Old Testament, leading to the new, where he comes to forgive us and enable us. And Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, the grace of God that leads to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. So it's, grace doesn't just forgive, it enables. It enables us to do the right things. 
If your, if your definition of grace just has to do with forgiveness, it's weak. You ever hear the old missionary say, by the grace of God, we made it through. That's the, enable, the enabling power of God's grace. Well, you can search for peace and wisdom, but you'll never truly find it until you come to Jesus Christ and receive the truth of his word as the path to follow for your life. There are people who make a commitment to Jesus, they don't get in the word, they fall away from their commitment shortly. The Bible speaks of that in the parable of the sower. But when you come to Jesus and you follow his path, his path is in the word, and you value that, you'll find peace and joy and wisdom for your life. I want to conclude with this story. You may not know this name, but he was pretty famous one day. Ken Mansfield. He was the United States manager for Apple Records. That was the Beatles label. He tells about his wonderful time in one of his books with the Beatles before they broke up. But things went downhill after they broke up in the mid-1980s. He hit bottom. And Ken Mansfield, Mansfield says, through a woman with whom he fell in love, Mansfield found Jesus. And before committing his life to Christ, he says, Billboard magazine was his Bible. Here's what he says in this book. Record charts, my God. Prestigious positions, my purpose. The Holy Grail was a Grammy. And the best table at the Brown Derby, the promised land. That's what Ken Mansfield said before he came to Christ. But after his conversion, he realized how hollow the way of the Beatles had been compared to the way of Christ. They, he says, meaning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are the authors of the map I needed for my journey. And then he wrote this. I want you to read it on the screen as, as follow as I read it. Ken Mansfield, the manager of the Beatles in Apple Records, says, I needed a chart, a journal with clear directions a log to refer to, a guidebook wherein their commands could speak to my wandering spirit. I needed a book so powerful that its very words could burn a living message into the absolute heart of my heart. I needed the irrefutable holy word of God, the Father Almighty, the creator of the very seas I was lost upon. That is anointed. God was using that man to speak to people like you and I to say, hey, I've known a path, and I've tried all these other paths, but there's no path like the path of God that is mapped out for us in His Holy Word. So here it is. God the Father, in all of His wisdom, has written down His thoughts through the pen of His dedicated and pure servants to give us a love letter, a map that will give us direction and help us to find his blessing, to find his purpose for our lives. Will you open it? Will we open it and partake of the rich food that he wants to feed our souls with? Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. When you hit the dark places in life, the word of God, will light things up so you'll know where to step and not be wounded.